0: Friends, before I begin, shall we bow our heads in prayer. Lord, in your mercy and your grace, grant us, Lord, the ability to hear you and to know your will for us. Guide us, Lord, into your holiness, and may we hear your spirit speak to our hearts and obey. We ask this, O Lord, in the mighty name of Jesus Christ, our Lord and Saviour. Amen. Last week I talked about uh, this pursuit of holiness and I chose this, uh, this verse from Hebrews uh, chapter 12, verse 14. Uh, it talks about holiness where without holiness we will not see uh, the Lord. Uh, this particular Sunday, uh, it's still on the topic of holiness. So if you actually look in the front cover, you can actually see uh, the verse 1 Corinthians 6, verses 19 to 20. Uh, Do you not know that your bodies are the temple of God? And uh, you're not your own, you're bought at a price. Therefore, honour God with your bodies. So this whole aspect of uh, pursuing holiness with your body. Uh, um, This is one of the days when we've done a rather long reading. Uh, We've read almost the whole whole chapter of Genesis 39. And in there, we talk about uh, Joseph running or fleeing away from Potiphar. And I thought uh, I'd need to address this particular issue. Somehow or rather, when we look at the readings that we've been going over this past week, or at least when I look back at the, the, the things that I've been speaking on from Genesis until now, uh, we seem to be talk, touching on this topic of sin and holiness. Uh, if you recall this cartoon that I used uh, a while back, uh, you know, where we sin is at the threshold and this temptation that is there. So I really want to touch on this topic about temptation and in particular in the context of Genesis 39, uh, the temptation to sexual immorality or sexual sin. I need to touch on this because in a way, a lot of what the world is encountering at this moment is this whole question about, Uh, holiness with respect to the body. Uh, Quite often when I do counselling, we end up having to deal with this issue about uh, sexuality, uh, past sexual engagement, and sometimes the people say the church is very old-fashioned. They tell us, get along with the program. The rest of the world has been uh, exploring sexuality and uh, freedom. And in fact, recently, the Anglican Church issued out a directive saying that sex outside of marriage is uh, immorality or a form of uh, perversion, sexual immorality, and sex outside of marriage, within the marriage covenant, is adultery. Now, they put that out, and there was a big hoo-ha in the UK such that there was uh, you know, thousands of people writing and protesting this Anglican church saying it's outdated, archaic and how dare they talk about our sexuality and what we want to do with sex. And so that wasn't the thing that upset people. What upset people was that people re, people within the Anglican Church apparently apologized for that statement. Oh, some of you so like, what? like can you apologize? Well, in a way they apologized for the statement, but they didn't retract the statement. They apologized that it offended people. But they say, this is the church position. So thankfully, we've not lost hope in, in that particular denomination of the church. But I say this as well because many times when we do marriage counselling, uh, we do have to talk to the couples about sexual holiness and purity. And sometimes people say, oh, you know, we, we go on holiday together and we, uh, we engage uh, in, uh, in sleeping in the same bed because it's cheaper. <laughs> no need to buy two separate rooms. It's okay. We 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 put uh, two two single beds, but in the same bedroom. Even worse nowadays, we have this uh, question which uh, my sister Trifina, uh, not by not biological sister but sister in Christ, uh, Trifina Law. Uh, who heads this organization, uh, Personal Liberty Under Christ, which reaches out to the LBGTQ community. She gave this term, which she says is a modern uh, term towards uh, sexuality, which she said was gender fluidity. Now, what gender fluidity means is that you're fluid, like water. You know, one day you flow there, another day you flow somewhere else. And therefore, one person who identifies as a male, maybe in their early years, before the age of 12, may at the age of 16 suddenly say, I think I'm female now. And no one can deny that right to me. If I'm male at this point, I decide later on I want to be female because I decide, like, it's my body. What's your problem? My body. So then we have this issue about sexuality. Do we have a right to our body to decide whatever it is, where our proclivities and where our uh, inclinations are? Or are we driven or defined by something else? So to some extent, I'm hoping to touch a little bit on this. I'm going within the context of Genesis 39. I could say a lot more about holiness, but it's still touching on about holiness. So what does pursuing holiness with the body mean? Uh, And how did Joseph actually deal with this? And of course, when we try and talk about any exposition of the word, we always talk about what do we understand about God, what do we understand about ourselves, and how do we relate to each other with respect to holiness. Now let me first touch on uh, this responding of Uh, holiness in our circumstances. We notice in the story of Joseph uh, has this particular beginning that God is with him and everything that he does prospers and although he was uh, sold into slavery by his brothers and uh, the Ishmaelites who, who took him and sold him, eventually sold him to the Egyptian Potiphar who was captain of the guard. Now, that word was a little bit difficult to explain, but in the background study of this, uh, the captain of the guard is essentially the chief executioner or the one in charge of the prisons. Because soon after this, at the end of this story, you recall that when Joseph is finally thrown into prison, he's thrown into the prison for the royal prisoners. Now, uh, I'm going to touch a little bit on the background here, but... There are many prisons, types of prisons in the ancient Near East. There was a special prison for the political or royal prisoners, which the king would use. But there were also other prisons which were for the common people. So it's an indication that Potiphar maybe, may not have fully believed his wife, and instead put uh, Joseph into the lesser harsh uh, prison, the one that the royalty was at. But we know in the understanding and in hindsight that it is through this particular prison that later on Joseph would encounter the baker and also the wine cup, uh, the wine bearer. Now, carrying on in this particular story, what happens is everything that Joseph does prospers, but temptation comes to him at the height of where he is. And although uh, he has been once sold into slavery, and then he prospers, and then another time later on, he's going to be put into prison again. His circumstances cause everything to be stripped from him. So his outer distinctives, what he is like, is stripped away. Uh, You remember in the story of Joseph, uh, one of the things that got the brothers jealous about Joseph was he had this outer cloak right, of many colours. And obviously that was stripped away from him. And uh, any identification that he had as a Hebrew and Jew uh, would probably have been stripped away from him. So he comes to Potiphar, captain of the guard, and is eventually, because of the Lord's presence with him, made successful. And although all has been stripped away, he begins to put on all these trappings again because he's now chief of the household of... Uh, Potiphar. Now, although all of the outer trappings are taken away from him, uh, several things are not taken from him. And I would like to put this across to you, that even when enemies may strip you of all your outer distinctives, all your external uh, things that make your identity unique, what cannot be taken ab- from you is that which is from inside. The wisdom the grace, and the internal character of Joseph is in a way unchanged. So one of the things about holiness is, does your external circumstance affect your internal character? For Joseph, although everything had been stripped away from him, he still had his wisdom, he still exercised grace, and his character was a man of integrity. How are we affected uh, when we are challenged in our holiness? I came across this particular illustration uh, that when you are walking along, say, you know, you're having your kopitiam later on and you're carrying a little cup of coffee and somebody hits into you and you spill coffee. And if someone were to ask you, why did you spill coffee? You might easily say, well, somebody banged into me lah. And because he banged it to me, then the, I spill coffee. But in actual fact, that's not really the answer. You spill coffee because what was in your cup was coffee. If you were carrying a cup of water and someone hit you, you'd be spilling water, right? Now, the point about this is the content of what you are is the very thing that will come out. The fact that the circumstances that hit you doesn't change what is the content that comes out of you. C.S. Lewis had a very similar illustration. He said, we are very good at sin management. And in the UK, uh, where we have uh, basements and cellars, you know, you go down, if you, you go down into the basement or in the cellar, and you suddenly enter into the basement, You will hear the rats scurrying around, and you might even see a big fat rat go across. This year, a year of the rat, so we can talk about rat a bit. Now, if you go downstairs suddenly, you will see these rats running around, and they will quickly disappear. And C.S. Lewis' point about sin management is: we are good at managing our sin. So what we do is, instead of rushing into the basement we open the door and we shout, anybody down there, get out of the way. <laughs> you give the rats, sin, enough time to hide itself so that when you go down, you don't see anything. So the nature of this sin and holiness is an acknowledgement of what lies within us and dealing with our sin rather than accusing the circumstances outside of us and say it's the circumstances that made me like this. We have this very similar situation, you know, we do all these things, corrupt practices, immoral practices, and we then say to ourselves, if only I were paid higher, or if only I was not put into this circumstance, I would not have fallen into temptation. Have you heard that before? I recall a long time ago, a politician who was caught in an adulterous affair, video scandal everywhere, when he was asked, what happened? He said, "Uh, you know, my circumstances, I'm travelling all the time and I'm busy and I'm lonely, so I fall into sin. That is blaming the circumstances. It is not dealing with the coffee in the cup. The sin that is hidden within. And so Joseph demonstrates this particular characteristic. Although his outer circumstances had changed, he's not bitter, he's not filled with hatred saying to himself, one day when I have the time, I'm going to stick it in into this potifar and run away. He is a blessing to the household and God continues to work with him. And because of his integrity and uh, the presence of the Lord with him, his holiness set aside in covenant relationship as a Hebrew under the promises of God, he remains a person of integrity. Second thing I want to point out here which we notice about uh, what Joseph says when uh, the wife Potiphar's wife, who by the way isn't mentioned, uh, what her name is, says, Come to bed with me. Right? Uh, let, me let me find the particular verse that says there. Uh, I like this part here in verse 6. So Potiphar left everything he had in Joseph's care with Joseph in charge. He did not concern himself with anything except the food he, eat, he ate. Wow, that's the life, man. You don't need to worry about gardening, taking out rubbish, anything. You just figure out what do you want to eat today. Quite a carefree life. Many of us have uh, staff in our team where you you throw anything at him or her and it will be sorted out. That's the kind of trust that Joseph had engendered. Uh, And then comes this statement, uh, 6B. Now, Joseph was well-built. And handsome okay now the NIV translation of this is uh, in the 1984 and 2011 version is well built it tends to think that are oh, muscular no actually no the, the, the Hebrew is he had a fine figure in other words he wasn't uh, one who basically let his body just go he took care of himself and so uh, I leave it to your imagination what he looked like but the short of it was that he was attractive Okay, he was handsome. And after a while, verse 7, his master's wife took notice of Joseph and said, "'Come to bed with me.'" Verse 8, he refused. Uh, "'With me in charge,' he told her, "'My master does not concern himself with anything in the house. "'Everything he owns he has entrusted to my care. "'No one is greater in this house than I am. "'My master has withheld nothing from me except you "'because you are his wife.'" How then could I do such a wicked thing and sin against God? How can, could I do such a evil slash wicked thing and sin against God? Now, it's very important to note here that when Joseph is confronted with sin, he calls it what it is. He identifies exactly what it is and he says that is evil and wicked. Then he says, uh, it says that he refused to go to bed with her or even be with her. He doesn't want to be alone with her so always must have uh, interference in between, must have barriers. And he carefully manages it. Oh, no, no. So his difficult situation is he has to work in this household and here is this lioness who is prowling after him and keep every once in a while, come to bed with me. Now you would imagine if you are captain of the guard, uh, you're a man of wealth and influence and you probably have a wife who is not too bad looking maybe, I don't know but definitely a woman of uh, substance and not some foolish uh, plaything that you can cast aside. Now, If you put yourself in the position of Joseph, how would you feel? Oh, I'm at the top of my household, I am most important, and now my boss's wife wants to bed me. Do I aspire to his position and usurp his position by taking his most prized possession, his wife? Then I am equal to God. Because God in that household is Potiphar. Can I grasp this thing which is not mine so that I can be like that person? How much of temptation, sexual temptation, adultery in particular is... Let me have that woman or that man so that I may have ownership and become like the other person. Is it a matter of status? Is it a matter of covetousness to have something that is not yours? But here's the point. Joseph looked at this and he said, How could I? How could I? do such an evil thing and sin against God. Now, here's one of the things about sexual immorality. Unless and until you realize how sinful and evil that is, you will not change. Unless and until you look at pornography as, everybody's doing it, you know, it's okay, you, you let go. Lah. You will not realize how detestable and how sinful it is Against God and to yourself. Now, he refused to go to bed with her and he pointed out that this sin is a sin against God. One of the things I recently discovered, and it was in this Genesis chapter, sin is always against God. Judas is Iscariot, right, when he realized that he had basically uh, done something wrong, He goes up to the Pharisees and the Sadducees. He said, I have sinned against an innocent man. And he wants to give back the coins. But then the Jewish officials basically said, what is that to us? That's your problem between you and this other innocent man. And he threw the coins in and he went and committed suicide. Now, Judas' idea is he has sinned against another innocent man. But Joseph's idea, as well as David, when he says in the psalm, against you and you alone, O God, have I sinned. So the whole idea about sin is not just, you know, I've sinned against some other man because it's his wife or some other woman because it's some other man's wife. It is a sin against a higher body, against God himself. And until and unless we understand that this sin is against God, we don't have the right perspective of what we're doing and we're kidding ourselves to think that, ya, it's okay, lah, small matter only. He refused to go to bed with her and this last point, when he was caught alone, he left his coat, ran out of the house. Ran! Christians have this big problem there are two types of things we're supposed to do when we confront evil and temptation. In the, in the face of evil, you stand and fight through prayer, through through perseverance and all that. In the face of temptation, flee, run. Christians do the opposite. In the face of temptation, they stand. <laughs> I resist this temptation. In the face of evil, they run. Takut <laughs> run. Faced with temptation, pornography, I can take it. I can stand it. No problem. And that's when we fall. And so Joseph demonstrates uh, this whole idea of how far away he wants to distance himself from that which will corrupt him. How then could I do this? He understands his position. Although he is head of the household and nothing is kept from him, he understands his covenant relationship with God. How can I do this sin against God, and against my fellow man? And how can I do such evil, wicked? He automatically understands what this is happening is wicked and evil. Now, This is for the men and women who are often tempted. Unless and until you tell yourself at the utmost priority, I will never, ever, ever commit adultery, or I will never, ever enter into a sexual relationship out of marriage, you will succumb. Unless and until you decide for yourself that this is sinful or evil, and you will not do this because it is against God, you will be playing around the edges and thinking it's okay lah which is what is happening in the world. The world says, it's my body, it's pleasure for me. I do what I want to do. There is no harm in doing this. You Christians are a bunch of frigid and uptight traditional moralist legalists. We are liberated, free. Let us enjoy ourselves. Let us do what we want for ourselves. Joseph's argument is none of those. Joseph's argument is an argument of holiness and an understanding that this is sinful, evil, wicked. To take that which is not yours, to covet another person's wife, and to commit adultery. In this case, it's not adultery. In this case, it would be fornication. And let me put it to you, it would be very easy for Joseph to say, the rest of society is doing that. Because it was not uncommon in all these ancient Near East practices and for many parts of the, of the world until modern times, that my servant is also my concubine. My slave is a plaything for me to play with. My wives and my, my wives and the, these other women, they are official. Every other one which I acquire through wealth, through things, that's my plaything. Yeah, I can do what I want to. They're just property. So Joseph could have easily succumbed to the circumstances and the context, that everybody's doing this. And if my wife, uh, if, if my master's wife wants to pleasure herself, I'm her instrument, okay lah, sacrificial lamb. I do this for the good of the household. No. He went against the norm and he decided this is sinful and wicked against God. And even if within a the household they said it's okay, Even if within the culture they would say that it's okay, he said, with my God, no, that is not. He understood how sinful it was. How then could I? So one of the pursuits of holiness, therefore, is understand how then could I do this. Let me put it with this whole idea, this illustration. You know, we always sing this song, take me, use me, mold me. I gave my life to the potter's hand. Right? We are this uh, clay jar, this earthen vessel which God uses to fill with His Spirit which we then pour out unto others. Now let me ask you a question. If you have a clay jar, uh, would you use it for water? Filtered, clean water? Yes, definitely, right? That's what it's, what it's supposed to be used for a jar that you're going to pour out, that you're going to fill others with, you would use it for clean water, living water, I would put it. Pure, clean, filtered, holy. Now, if you're an earthen vessel, and I use uh, sewage water, and I fill it in there, are you still going to use that earthen vessel? Some of you might say, "It's okay, lah. I mean, it's the only earthen jar that I have. We pour out the thing and I wash it a few times." But you remember, earthen vessels are porous. It absorbs whatever stuff that you use it for. Now, if I use the same jar, but I put arsenic in it, right, I fill it with arsenic. You know, even if you want to dilute it, I fill it there. Then I pour it out and I give you the jar. Are you still going to use it? There's this whole idea in this text that our bodies are vessels, earthen vessels to be filled with something. Is it of this world which is polluted or is it of God which is pure? Which one do you want to use? And how will you maintain this purity which will affect your body because it remains, its stain remains. And there's only one agent that has the ability to purify whiter than snow. So God is shaping you on the outside. And so this is one of the big challenges in our church. God is shaping us. And on the outside, like C.S. Lewis, we could be doing sin management. Look very nice on the outside. But on the inside, we fill it with a lot of rubbish, nonsense and poison. Sexual immorality, sexual uh, 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 sexual impurity, poison. And sometimes our inclination to sexual immorality is a slow poisoning of ourselves. It's bit okay lah. It's okay, lah. And I, I say this in a case of sexual immorality but many times many of our friends are engaging in activities that are even uh, engaging in in violence. You know uh, the the computer games that we play, the movies that we watch, the books that we read. And this is not an age-specific thing, although it's very easy to point to the young fellas and say, you guys are playing all these violent games. Excuse me, older people also engage in things that fill them with serious repercussions because it stays in the body. So how seriously do you take your sin and are you aware that you're sinning against God when you fill this vessel and then you invite God to say, come into me and be with me and abide with me. Now, although this seems really quite terrible, I also want to point out the hope that is contained within this passage in 1 Corinthians 6, verse 19 to 20. You find in verse 2 and 21 this, uh, this uh, book-end mark of this narration that says, God, the Lord, was with Joseph. Okay, in verse 21 and verse 2. And it's important for us to note that even when Joseph was blessed and things seemed to be going well, everything that he put his hand to prospered, and everything was stripped away from him and he was chucked into uh, prison, as if he was now cursed. <laughs> Very sway. Bad luck. Boong. Yet at the end of that statement, even as he's in jail, is that verse 21, the Lord was with Joseph. So our circumstances may change, but the Lord's presence continues. Now, I'd like you to consider this. Uh, in places where there is Christian persecution, Enemies may isolate you, may put you into solitary confinement, and they may abuse you, but they cannot take away the presence of the Lord. That is something that is of God. They can take "Eh, all your stuff, but they cannot take away the presence of the Lord. The only time that disappears is when you yourself reject the presence of God. Go away. I don't want you. Of course, there are some of us that may say, I don't, I don't sense the presence of God. And he seems very far away. A little bit like Job. But let it not be a situation where we are the ones, by our actions, who are rejecting God. Enemies may isolate us, but they cannot take away the presence of the Lord. Many things can be taken away from us, even our life. But God's presence remains with us through all situations. One requirement though is we be holy, set apart. Set apart and dedicated to Him. There's this statement, your bodies are temples of the Holy Spirit. This uh, vessel that we are in. And it's uh, bodies are temples, uh, plural. Which means yours and everyone next to you. Your bodies, each of you are temples of the Holy Spirit. It has the inhabitation of the Most High God. And the basic tenet of a temple is that God is there. That you encounter God with that. So really, the pursuit of holiness is not a matter of uh, legalistic rituals that say, oh, I must not do this, I must not do that and all that is the pursuit of holiness in order that God may abide with you. Even in our difficult and filthy circumstances, God's abiding is with us. And then finally, in this 1 Corinthians 6, 19-20, is where we get this statement, You are not your own. Let me read that again. No. Verse 18, flee from sexual immorality. Like Joseph, run! Stay away from it. Do not even be close to it. All other sins a person commits are outside the body, but whoever sins sexually sins against their own body. You know the vessel? Okay. Putting arsenic in it or putting sewage water or putting any dirty stuff in it, is harming your own body. And it's knowing that it has those dire consequences and acknowledging it. challenge in the world right now is they are trying to change that whole idea. Do you not know your bodies are temples of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have received from God? You are not your own. You were bought at a price. Therefore, honour God or glorify God in your body. So what is the use of the body in this? In the pursuit of holiness, in pursuing holiness, is recognizing our bodies are not for us to basically satisfy our own cravings. I have friends who have kind of like argued with me before and they said, um, many of these people in their gender fluidity say that they are naturally predisposed to the, op- to, to the same sex or naturally predisposed to uh, doing what uh, we have identified there. And so my argument with them is, just because it seems naturally predisposed to you, doesn't mean that you should naturally do it. Just because you seem naturally predisposed to it, doesn't mean that you should naturally do it. Now, it might seem countercultural, but let me put it to you across this way. Even in a heterosexual relationship, Many men or women may be naturally predisposed to have more than one partner. In a heterosexual relationship, male-female, they are naturally predisposed to spread as much of their offspring as possible. Do we tell them, go ahead and live according to your nature? No. We remind them that God gives us for our own good so that we don't destroy ourselves. One man, one woman, for all of life. And woe befalls those who think that they know better. So it's not because we want to be holier than thou, but it's for their own good. Look at what happened to David. Look at what happened to Solomon. So many wives, so many children all trying to kill each other. Havoc. So how do we glorify God in our body, in our holiness? Our circumstances may change, but our inner character needs to be living water that is poured out in spite of our circumstances. How do we as a church move forward? Uh, Know that when you sin, you are sinning against God. You are doing evil or wickedness. Determine right ahead of time that you will not do this corruption bribery breaking traffic laws anger hate uh, unforgiveness these things are a poison in your soul and when you indulge in it and you feed it you poison yourself and you poison others and in particular sexual immorality it affects your own body be aware that you are not your own and you honour God with your bodies now in our past we used to have all these questions about you know, are you a virgin or are you not a virgin and it still is current in a lot of the world in Malaysia, in Africa virginity is a big currency Bible never really talks so much about that. It's more concerned about your purity and your holiness. And true, you may have a situation where in the past you were kind of like, you decided that this was not important. But now in the pursuit of holiness and in your desire to be with God, you now decide, I want to be pure. So what it means, therefore, is to dedicate yourself to say, I want to live according to how God wants me to live. Not because I know better or I want to be better than someone else, but because that honors God and it is health and wisdom for my life. So then we act, practice abstinence. So I urge some of you who may be thinking about marriage or who are in situations of temptation, be like Joseph. Flee temptation. what you need to do is identify what are the things that I'm being tempted by and flee it. Now, for some of you, you may feel uh, food is no temptation, so you can put whatever you want in there and it doesn't bother me. But for other people, it is. So in those type of situations, don't put it there. I have this situation with with a friend of mine who was trying to teach their children how do you teach children not to do something? And her answer was, don't put it there. Don't put it in front of them and then tell them, don't touch. My children were quite good at this. There was once and I said, "Uh, don't touch this thing. And my daughter came along and touched the thing and said, don't touch. Don't touch. Touch, don't don't touch. (laughs) She affirmed the rule, but she was touching it. So the whole idea of fleeing temptation, therefore, is don't put it there. Tell them, this is important that you don't do this. And when you encounter this situation, put it aside. Redirect them to something else. And as a church, as a small group, and uh, in accountability groups that you have, I hope you're doing that 3-2-1 thing, right? Three people, two hours, once a month. You're helping each other to flee from temptation. That when you are tempted, you call up your friend and says, take me away from this. Now, importantly for many of you who are travellers, international travel. I was an international traveler as well when I was a consultant and I know what it's like. You go to all these places and your client wants to take you out to the nightclubs, drink as much as you want, choose any woman to sit next to you, nobody knows. We won't tell your wife. And many of my friends succumbed to it. They went to, to Indochina, Vietnam, Cambodia and all that stuff and they had wives. Wives. Plural. In different cities where they went, they had each one a sleeping partner. And when you confront them and says, why do you do this? He said, I don't speak the language. So when I go there and this woman wants to warm my bed for me and I'm feeling lonely uh, and then we'll talk the language. I just give her money, she goes to the market, buys everything, brings it back, cooks everything, and I have home away from home better than my own house. That's how they reason things out. The sin is no longer wicked or evil to them. It is convenient, pragmatic, helpful for my health. And then the wife finds out and the children finds out and all hell breaks loose. Then they come to the pastor. What to do? They huh? slap them. Flee. Do not put yourself in that situation. You know it. Don't kid yourself and say, I can tahan, I can withstand temptation. This is a book. No. Joseph ran. David did not flee temptation. He saw Bathsheba, he bring his binoculars even bigger. Flee. He should have been out at war but he was wasting his time and he was pleasing himself. Brothers and sisters, if you're in that situation and you are facing temptation and you know it's a temptation, shut it out. Jesus said, if your right hand sins against you, if your right eye sins, it is better for you to pluck it off. Now, please, don't take it that I'm asking you to amputate yourself or blind yourself. His whole point was, you must understand sin and evil for what it is and keep it far away from you. So I pray you see sin for what it is, that you seek and pursue holiness with your bodies and that you encourage and hold each other responsible and accountable. Let us pray. let me at this time offer a moment whilst we have our eyes closed if you are struggling with a particular sin and it's okay to struggle with sin would you offer that up to God it could be anger it could be frustration it could be sexual or it could be something else would you come to God and you offer it up to Him Lord I want to pursue holiness in my body so that I would be a clean vessel that would have your Holy Spirit living in peace with me. Would you take your time and you offer that up to God now? Dear Lord, here we are, broken as we are, earthen vessels, Lord, filled with cares and concerns of this world and the temptations that come with it. We ask, Lord, that you cleanse us. For by the blood of Jesus Christ, you cleanse us whiter than snow. And you, O Lord, are the source of holiness. You alone make all things holy. And even in our sinfulness, you have the ability to take it and cast it away from us. Bless us, Lord, that we might pursue you and pursue holiness in our body, that you might be present and abide with us always both now and forevermore. We invite your Holy Spirit, Lord, your holy comforter to be with us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Friends, will you rise